0: Welcome to our podcast from the Arc Insider, the africa Focus podcast offering some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation touching on news, current affairs, culture and other ongoing topics of interest. I'm Karen Allen and I'm speaking to you from South Africa. My co-presenter, Tara O'Connor, the Managing Director of Arc, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy Firm, Africa Risk Consulting, joins me from France. We both live, breathe and work African affairs and our podcast aims to stimulate ideas among those who share a fascination with this part of the world. Tara, welcome. Hello, Karen. Sounding a bit croaky at this end, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. Not a problem you poor thing it's not it's not covid it's just probably overextending the vocal cords but but it's not about me let's focus on the podcast you've been gridlocked yes. at gatwick airport due to staff shortages i believe as if you've been dashed to get in position ready to record this what's been happening
1: absolutely i sort of was at gatwick last night and sitting on an aircraft um for 2 hours while while the air, air, while the airport sought handlers to actually up, up load our baggage, so I was two two hours late arriving back home in France, and so. Uh, if I'm croaky, it's because I, I only made it back home at two this morning.
0: I mean, talking about airports, we've got a very interesting guest later in this podcast when we talk about aviation in Africa and how COVID and now the war in Ukraine is having serious repercussions for air travel. Our guest will be Forsyth Black. Now, he used to run the company that owned Menzies Aviation. More on that a little bit later on. But here in South Africa, Tara, a uh, busy time. Uh, we've had the final version of the state capture report by Chief Justice Zondo published. Meanwhile, President Cyril Ramaphosa is fighting fires in a story which has become known as Farmgate and allegations that he tried to cover up the theft of millions of dollars in cash stolen from his farm. Now the claims, as she croaks on, are being made by the former head of South Africa's intelligence agency Arthur Fraser. Now he's an ally of the former President Jacob Zuma and they're being seen by some as an attempt to derail Cyril Ramaphosa ambition to run for a second term by trying to paint him as a man possibly involved in alleged tax evasion or worse. So watch this space because that is a story it's going to rumble on for some time. Now, Tara, before my voice gives up on me totally, let's take a look at some of the stories that have been in the news since our last podcast.
2: A
1: devastating earthquake in Afghanistan has claimed the lives of more than a thousand people and left many more injured. Tonight, tens of thousands of Congolese civilians pour out of the eastern border town of Bunagana after it's reportedly taken over by M23 rebels. The military blames Rwanda. The capture is a major setback for the army, which had said it had the upper hand over the militants. Malawi's President Lazarus Chakwera on Tuesday relieved his vice president, Salus Chilima, of all delegated powers after the latter was named in a massive corruption scandal in government contracts already implicating several senior officials. Bring you some breaking news now from the United States. And the United States Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. That is the landmark court ruling from 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide.
0: Ah, oh, Tara, that earthquake near Khuz Province in Afghanistan's absolutely devastating, isn't it? It's, it's such mm, a remote totally. and hugely deprived part of the country towards the east. It's not far from the border with Pakistan, and it's already been the focus of so much bloodshed and insurgent attacks.
1: It is a totally tragic um, tale after all that country has been through in the last um, couple of generations, really.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I'm talking to people who are still working there, and... You know, the focus globally now is so much on Ukraine and Russia that, you know, other hotspots like Afghanistan are just being kicked into the long grass. But Tara, we are an Africa-focused podcast, so focus on Africa, we must. Um, One story that I was struck, possibly puzzled by but was the story coming out of the Democratic Republic of Congo and the return of Patrice Lumumba's remains from Belgium, or at least part of his remains. He, of course, was the independence hero who was assassinated under a murky Cold War plot for being a communist at a time that saw the US side with Mobutu Seko, the notorious kleptocratic leader of the former Belgian colony. And he was seen at the time as a buffer against Russian communist influences in nearby Angola. And it struck me how much resonance that sort of geopolitical divide has today in a world where African countries are having to choose sides at a time of what the West sees as Russian aggression against Ukraine. And yet some other African countries, because of uh, filial traditions, don't necessarily see it like that.
1: Yes, I know. And uh, I mean, one of the things that was mentioned this week is the uh, October and November Russia-Africa summit that's due to be Hosted by the African Union, in fact, in Addis. Um, and it's very interesting because it we see on the one hand uh, countries like South Africa and, uh, and in fact the African Union um, asserting their right to have an independent uh, foreign policy approach yeah. to Russia um, and resisting all Western pressures to call out Russia for it's what are effectively imperial actions in Ukraine. Um, And then on the other hand, these these same countries are extremely debt distressed after COVID and are going to need to come to the West, mainly the IMF, uh, for debt relief. So it's quite a balancing act. Yes,
0: you're being diplomatic there, but let's be blunt. Why is it a problem that African countries play both sides? Because Other countries in the world do as well. Well, it really is
1: about choosing your ideology. It's once again, big ideologies have come into play just as they did in the Cold War. But this time, the ideology is autocracy versus democracy and good governance versus grand theft or kleptocracy, oligarchism and oppression. And now there are many of Africa's leaders that would welcome the opportunity to be more autocratic, and we only have to look at what's happening in Tunisia at the moment mm. with the arrests of former premiers and so on to see the move towards autocracy again in this environment. And we've also seen you know, the opposition where... Um, you see in Sudan, for example, where Russia is actively supporting the extremist military uh, coup yeah. that has taken place against the popular voter, the protest voters, that mass movement of Sudanese people that have been coming out pushing for democracy. And really, you know, uh, you know, it will be very interesting in October or November, whenever this uh, Russia-Africa summit. Um, is due to be held to see actually how many by then how many african uh, countries turn up to the summit okay thanks tara
0: you're listening to the ark insider the africa focus podcast with karen allen and tara o'connor now our guest today is a man who's something of a fountain of knowledge when it comes to the airline industry and the airline industry in africa the demise of the South African company Comair, which ran British Airways flights under licence and owned the low-cost airline Kalula and went into liquidation just a few weeks ago, is just one of the big aviation stories to reach the headlines. Covid, a rise in global oil prices and the war in Ukraine are all factors which are hitting the airline industry hard. To discuss this and other issues, we're joined by Forsyth Black, The former CEO of the global airline services company, John Menzies PLC, which owns Menzies Aviation. Forsyth, welcome to the Ark Insider. You're joining me here in South Africa.
2: Thank you, Karen. Nice to be here.
0: And welcome from me in France, Forsyth.
2: Hi, Tara. Nice to see you.
0: Now, Forsyth, I know when we had a preliminary chat for this podcast, you lamented the fact that people assume aviation service providers are the guys who lose your luggage at the airport. There's a whole lot more that you guys do. Can you give us an overview of the types of services airline service companies do?
2: Well, absolutely. The, the whole thing about losing losing bags is a great icebreaker at parties, but it's um it's not really how things <laughs> how things work. There's very very few bags that are actually lost at airports around the world. So so airline services uh, covers a number of different things. Um, if you imagine that you're a you're a passenger going to, going to check in for your uh, flight to to wherever you're going those people that check you in often belong to an airline services provider. Even if they're wearing airline uniforms, the the same people will board you onto the aircraft. Um, The airline services company might also run the lounge that you sit in if you're lucky enough to have a business class ticket or a first class ticket. Um, But the real action happens underneath the aircraft. If you look out the window of the aircraft as you're uh, getting ready to take off, what you see is a whole lot of strangely shaped equipment and people moving things around. And, And that equipment, by and large, um will will belong to our, what's known as a ramp handler the handler that uh, looks after the aircraft on the piece of the apron that's called called the ramp um that could be loading and unloading equipment it could be steps it could be tractors that push the aircraft back if there's cargo to be taken on the on the aircraft on its flight it will be positioned at the aircraft by the 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 the, the ground handler the the ramp handler and it may have been handled in their warehouse off airport the fueler uh could easily be uh, one of these uh, uh, airport services uh, company employees as well. Um, so there's a whole lot of different things that are done by airport services uh, companies like uh, my former employer.
1: So for Scythe, for a large part of your career, you were responsible for Africa, um, which gives you great insight into, into what, what was happening on, a, on the continent that Karen and I focus our attention on. And so, if we're going to talk about logistics um, around that, it was COVID came along and was a massive uh, destructive force to north-south logistics, was it not?
2: Oh, totally. I mean, the, the South Africa closed its borders for, for for some period of time at the start of COVID. There were almost no flights going in and out, other than essential freight. Uh, that that's in the history of flight, that's uh, that's never happened before. Uh, a, a great And a great example, just to, to put it in context, was during the height of COVID, I had some work uh, that I had to do in, in Africa and I got permission to, to 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 fly and I flew from Edinburgh to Heathrow. I had to change terminals uh, and between Terminal 5 and Terminal 3, I met three people in wow. the middle of the day. Oh, wow. Normally you'd meet 30,000 30, people mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. I met three people. And two and two of them were wearing airport passes. In terms of North South um, uh, freight, though, uh, quite interest some quite interesting phenomena started to happen during the the real height of of COVID. Uh, there was a huge move uh, to get to get PPE and vaccines out of China, particularly out of China, and into Europe and and the US. There was a lot of money thrown at it by Western governments and. F- Freighter aircraft were picked up at, at vastly inflated rates and moved on to the, the, the east-west, China to, uh, to Europe and China to North America routes. For Africa, what that meant was some airlines took regular freighter services off the African routes. Um, and I came across one, one prime example, for example, in Côte d'Ivoire, where uh, the cooperative that exports mangoes had, had a full harvest impending and they had no way of getting it to market in Europe and, uh, and the Middle East, which is where they normally sell. Um, and there was a huge panic for some weeks as the harvest was getting ready um, uh, around how on earth they were going to get these mangoes to market, because if they didn't get them to market quickly, they would rot and they would have to be destroyed uh, in, in, in Abidjan. And um, in the end, they had to go by sea, which meant that some of them rotted um, because sea, sea freight takes too long. That was expensive enough. Uh, but if they'd gone by air, uh, it would have been so expensive to charter freighters to get down there to pick them up and come back that, that uh, they would have been unsaleable when they got to their market.
1: And yet we then saw, you know, great um, great pivots by some very incredible airlines like Ethiopian mm. was one of the first to convert its uh, passenger, unused passenger planes into freight, into to carrying goods didn't they
2: that's right that's right so we saw, so we saw lots of them um, lots of stories on social media and in in the and in the, on the television of airlines packing seats with them um, with boxes uh and there was a lot of that went on ethiopian did a lot of it mm. uh there there were some airlines made made quite a go of it virgin atlantic was another one that almost converted their uh, entire flying fleet uh, to to passenger freighters now, converting is a, is maybe a, a, a grand word for it because what they really did was just pack the seats with boxes, pack the overhead bins with boxes and just leave the aisles free. And there, 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 there came a, a mini aviation science of how to how to pack a passenger cabin as wow. efficiently as yeah. possible. But of course, you've still got to get your aircraft back in a, in a way that's, that the seats are not destroyed. And one day you can still use them for passengers to sit on.
0: But that's so interesting, the, the power play on that, because, I mean, didn't companies like Amazon as well buy up a lot of the freight space so that they could make sure that they could supply their companies, that they could supply their customers in the US? And so, you know, there was a lot of we we heard so much about the hogging of vaccines, but the hogging of aircraft as well.
2: The, the, absolutely. and. My experience is, is not that Amazon were trying to supply their customers in the US, but rather what they were trying to do was very quickly reposition over what they thought was going to be overstock in the northern hemisphere mm. for this for the northern hemisphere summer to the southern hemisphere for the summer and buy themselves six months. Oh, really? So there was a huge airlift that I'm aware of by people like Amazon from the north down to down to Australia and New Zealand um, where they could uh, they could stock up for the impending summer season.
0: Wow. I mean, that's extraordinary. We're going to talk about the geopolitics of, uh, of the aircraft industry a bit later on because it does feed into so many interesting other discussions. But uh, Tara mentioned Ethiopian Airlines, and I just um, wanted to ask, what, in your view, was it that allowed some airlines to pivot really well and to be able to make the most of that increased demand for freight rather than passengers? And what inhibited other airlines from being able to do that?
2: I think the, the the answer is pretty straightforward. Some airlines are just more agile than others, and some have much stronger leadership than others at the very top, and others are more bureaucratic. Mm. Um, Ethiopian's a good example of having very strong leadership at the top. I mean, their their chief executive who just left not, not that long ago, uh, Tewaldi Gab, Gabri Mariam, is uh, an example of someone who had real control over his airline and was, was I think, in my view personally, responsible for the turnaround and, and re and rebirth of Ethiopian into the airline it is today. Mm. And when I first started in aviation, uh Ethiopian was a pretty down at heel African carrier. Uh these days it is a one of the premier carriers in the world with new aircraft, great facilities in Addis, and uh and and has a real real reputation, a really mm. good reputation. I think Tijualdez was very much part of that. He was also the the, the, the mind and the muscle, if you like, behind being able to pivot quickly. If you look at others, a gr- another great example is Virgin Atlantic move towards uh, move towards carrying uh, freight on their passenger aircraft very quickly. And again, although Richard Branson isn't isn't uh, you know personally in charge of Virgin Atlantic day to day, shy vices uh, they they, they move very quickly because there was sort of one controlling mind at the top. Other others that got rounded in the end took their time. So Air Canada did a lot of um, a lot of passenger freighters, but they did take a long time to get there because they're much more of a, a sort of bureaucratic mm. uh, machine. United Airlines in America the same. British Airways did a bit of it. All of them took time to get there, but the likes of Ethiopian, Turkish, uh, and Virgin really really took it by the scruff of the neck and did it quickly. Oh,
1: wow, you mentioned Turkish, and obviously Turkish Airlines. Um, is just one of those airlines that has really made its presence felt in Africa. It's a newcomer to the continent, but it really has, over time, uh, been you know it's been it's been quite impressive in in cornering a lot of the particularly West African markets.
2: Yeah, I mean Tur- Turkish is a, is another example, like Ethiopian, of of um, of two maybe two things. Countries, and especially uh, develop, fast-developing countries like Ethiopia and, and Turkey, take great pride in having a national carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a projection of, of economic power. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethiopian concentrates on Africa, of course. What what Turkish does is, is it is tries to exploit its position as, as a sort of pseudo-gulf carrier. Uh, they almost see themselves in competition with Emirates, and Etihad and Qatar, um, and in aviation terms we think of them some, somewhat as a Gulf carrier because from that position in the, in the centre of the map, uh, uh, long-haul aircraft can more or, leech, more or less reach anywhere in the world in one hop. Turkish has had a lot of money put behind it by the Turkish state, and it's one of its great prides is that it flies to more countries in the world than any other airline, and uh, you know, whilst I would never advocate a sort of flags-on-the-map strategy... They've, they've made it work to an extent. They've got a quality product that hubs through somewhere in the centre of a, a centre of the map, if 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 you like, and uh, and goes to all sorts of different places that yeah. most airlines can't make an can't make. An I was going to ask for.
0: about that. I mean, I mean, Turkish airlines were. I remember people were flying in and out of Kabul using Turkish airlines. You know, at a time when a lot of other uh, uh, airlines would not touch that part of the world. To what extent do you think um, having an airline is part of a bigger picture of being able to leverage political relationships because if you physically got a presence in the country and you're trying to leverage that to do business you surely must be at an advantage uh, to countries that don't have airline routes from there they're often wrapped up in ta- trade deals yeah. aren't they
2: Ab- absolutely we we talk we talk in the in the aviation industry of aer- aeropolitical uh, mm-hmm. issues meaning uh, uh, deals, deals which countries make with each other, treaties which countries make with each other in, in terms of flying between one country and another, and then there's, there's there's the the freedoms of the air in terms of can you can you under that treaty carry passengers from point A to point B or from or from point A to point B in another country and then onward to point C. So it is an absolutely a projection of economic power, or you might even say if you go back far enough in time, colonial power. Yes. Uh, so. The original airlines that probably made use of this sort of soft power or or economic power are the, are the likes of Air France, for example, who are to this day still the primary carrier into French West Africa. Mm-hmm. And then in the modern world, of course, it's Turkish, it's Ethiopian, f- probably formerly, but not quite today, Kenya Airways, yeah. South African Airways are all attempting the same sort of thing and projecting that economic soft power by air links into what's seen as uh, what's seen as countries that that somehow look towards them as a, as a base so saa for example um would would be very big in, on flying into uh SADIC countries uh, yeah. for, to begin with then then uh, uh, their next step would be as as the brics concept came up they would be building air routes into into brazil uh into india into china yeah um you know in south african airways none of those routes Quite worked, but the point was uh, SAA you know, didn't a, really they, work either. Unfortunately, well it, yes. really, well, it was all it was all part of the same <laughs> exactly, thing, really. Yeah. But but it's all to, it's all to do with linking up that those those soft economic power groupings uh, to one another.
1: For a prime example mm. is obviously now you know Rwanda with its new airline projecting its its regional uh, regional power and and seeking international recognition in in lots of ways.
2: Well, that's right. I mean right now there's an international governmental meeting happening I think a Commonwealth meeting happening in Rwanda right? Mm. as we record this. Um, Rwanda has become a bit of a beacon for, um, for, for for Africa and African trade. It's known as having you know I think it's the best telecom network in Africa by far. That, it helps to be a small country, of course, mm-hmm. when you're laying telecom cables. Um, but they've done they've done a great job in in rebuilding the country after the terrible problems they had uh, of the last few decades. Rwanda Air, uh, as an airline, is an interesting airline because whilst it is being used as a regional uh, um, vehicle for for soft economic power, um, I would say they're probably doing it right in that they're they're not a big enough country that they can have a they can't they can't support a, a Turkish Airlines or an Ethiopian Airlines size size airline. It's got to be right sized uh, for for the for the country and the level of power they're trying to project. I think Rwanda Air is doing that. In a reasonable way, and not over, over, um, not over committing to large aircraft. Sticking with regional aircraft mostly. Uh, I think we have one or two large aircraft that link to um, uh, to specific international uh, hubs, but after that, it's all regional aircraft. Uh, the typical route to destruction, or the route to the route to ruin. Uh, for, a, for a, a small country national airline is over overextending into big aircraft mm-hmm. and all of a sudden realising that it's extremely difficult to fill those every single day of the year.
0: Can I take us in a slightly different direction as I croak my way through the podcast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Forsyth, can we talk about low-cost airlines? Because we have seen a proliferation of low-cost airlines across Africa. Just to focus on South Africa for a moment, you know, we've had... Um, obviously casualties like uh, Kulula, which was owned by Comair just in in recent weeks. And yet at the same time, we're seeing new carriers like Lyft, which does a very limited Um, run between Cape Town and Johannesburg seemed to be doing really really well. We had something called the Santaco Express. I remember going on a press trip which was supposed to be an airline run by the South African taxi industry which as far as I know never quite made it off the ground. What is the secret to success about getting a small local airline off the ground? No pun intended. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well i think if I, I think if i knew the real secret to success i'd be a rich man and probably an airline an airline magnet but it's very random uh, it seems
0: very random because you've got some you've got some winners and losers there
2: that's right that's right so so what it comes down to is is this you've got to keep ruthless control of your costs Um and some of that is by design and some of it's by chance mm. so so for for example uh, in terms of chance maybe not kalula themselves but Comair, their sister airline, the, the BA franchise, um, had the misfortune to to buy two 737 Max's just before the, the famous crashes. And they sat on the ground uh, in, in Johannesburg, I think, for a, for a long time. And obviously, when they sit on the ground, someone's paying the lease mm-hmm. and nobody's getting anything for it.
1: Which also then brings us on to the sort of post-COVID environment. Um, you know, for... You know, for airlines, you know, we're seeing, you know, we've seen great strides in both airlines, startups, new routes, um, new airlines, but also interesting things like privatized airports um, and and logistical logistics infrastructure building across the continent. And I just wondered what your forward look would be for Scythe. Well,
2: it's quite interesting because during during COVID there was a few phases of. Um Particularly, cargo uh, of cargo market development. Uh, there was there was the very early COVID phase of oh my goodness, there's no cargo, everything's going to go under. To suddenly the cargo coming back and being very different in size and shape and route than it was previously. So, uh, as as we said earlier in the in the in the podcast, um, it moved towards PPE and vaccines going east to west. Uh, as opposed to general cargo and perishables and so on going around the globe, um, and at higher rates, so that propped up the infrastructure providers and the service providers in cargo. Um, there's there's then there was then a boom in air cargo um, for a short while. That boom is showing signs of coming to an end, I think. Um, we're finding, of course, that um, the big, the big worldwide consumers, the Western, the Western world consumers, are beginning to slow down their rates of consumption because all that money they got bailed out with by their governments uh, has is, is, is has either been spent or people are beginning to look to the future and see that actually they better save a bit because hard times are coming, inflation's moving up. There's still a, a crisis in shipping container availability and ship availability out of China. China's having problems with their factory output because they've had a, another wave of wave of COVID. And at the same time, what we're seeing in Western markets, and particularly the US at the moment as a leading indicator, is a drop off in consumption. And that starts to push its way up the supply chain to the last mile providers, the van providers who are delivering to those, houses, to those U.S. houses, to the middle mile providers the truckers and the and the and the short haul aircraft uh, uh, freighter providers back up to the long haul freighter providers and and so on at the same time the, the aircraft market had seen an opportunity of of a, a boom in uh, a boom in freighter aircraft and freighter aircraft orders are, are 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 through the roof and providers of freighter aircraft or freighter aircraft uh, conversions are full uh, but of course, it takes years to bring freighter, freighter aircraft onto into the market, by which time there may, the, the boom may have bust. And at the same time as that layer on top of that, the fact that passenger aircraft are now flying again and all that freight space that sits beside your bags as you fly from one place to another is now available again. Now, that can't take big, uh, big sized, uh, cu- big cube uh, uh, pieces of freight, but it can take freight in general, and that starts to suck, suck uh, 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 supply out of the market. Um, all of that together probably means that the rebound will 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 maybe overshoot in terms of supply, just at a time that demand is dropping off.
1: And what does that all mean for our particular market in in Africa, in particular for side?
2: The risks are, of course, that. Um, that what I always saw when I lived in Africa was, you know, when, uh, when Europe or America sneezes, Africa catches a cold. Um, it's, it seems to be always the way. Um, in every cloud, there's a silver lining. Um, there's always opportunities for small agile carriers to make or, 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 uh, or even large agile carriers to make quick decisions to get in between the cracks in markets. So going back to the example of Ethiopian or Turkish, they did really well to pivot during those times of, um, of crisis in covid they will. Those same sort of airlines will probably do well to pivot into whatever's coming next, and whatever's coming next, as I say, is 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 somewhat anyone's guess. If you could predict these things, would all be rich, but um, <laughs> but there are there are smarter people than me out there in, in in airlines who are already planning for what they'll do next. And inevitably, it will be it will be to to, to manage the right sizing of their fleet, to manage their uh, routes, uh, to uh, and to to manage the aircraft that they have on those routes to be as full as possible and yield as much uh, as possible. I would say that the African angle to that is there's no one knows the African market better than African carriers. They will be the ones that will be first to take advantage of some of the, the, the best little niches. In the African market, possible.
1: What a fantastic uh, a tour de force, as we expected, um, of the continent <laughs> and the
2: world. So of
1: interesting. Airline, and can, airline finance. Can I can I ask a
0: really crazy, just mm. to lower the tone massively? <laughs> can yeah. I ask a question that's just been foxing me because I, I've had this image as we've been doing the podcast of you know the aircraft, the big aircraft that you know it's just not economic for them to fly. What happens to the old? Big aircraft? Are they just sold for scrap, or or oh, do museums um, buy them? What happens to them?
2: Well, there's a whole there's a whole chain and uh, there's a whole chain of events. So let's imagine you've got um, uh, aircraft that are no longer economic in Europe. They will probably be sold cheaply into the developing world. Mm. If you remember, one time uh, that famous South African uh, airline they they made they made a business out of getting one free time. aircraft that from was other the people.
0: Yes, one time. But Sorry, one time was the name of the airline. Yep. Yeah
2: so they, they more or less got free aircraft from other airlines but they but they had a massive fuel burn um, because they were inefficient you then get to the next the next stage which is typically uh, very old uh, say 737s get converted into freighters and mm-hmm. then fly around there's a few of those flying around south africa at the moment and then ultimately when they've when they've exhausted all other avenues they get they get sold for scrap mm-hmm. or they get taken away for scrap and there are, there are air, aircraft scrappers around the world who make a decent living out of taking the aircraft to pieces and recycling bits. I've seen coffee tables made out of bits of old aircraft <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> aircraft windows and being used for t- tea trays and things like that. There was during airbnb
1: there is indeed a, an old aircraft yes. that's been and used really, for an airbnb at yes. tinyhouse.com yes. or something <laughs> yes yes yes
2: well and and, there, and during covid during covid there was some aircraft engineers from i think it was Finnair in in finland um used their time under uh, under covid to try and work out whether they could recycle 100% of an aircraft and I think they managed something crazy like 99.8% wow. recycled. And some of the some of the metal uh, that came out of that aircraft was bought by Mercedes-Benz and is now being driven around on four wheels.
0: Oh, so it wasn't <laughs> such a <laughs> daft question after all.
2: No, 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 no. It's a big industry. It's a big industry.
1: side, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so much. That's it's really a, been a, a brilliant, um, A brilliant roundup
2: of the industry. Really no interesting. Problem. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs>
0: That's it for another edition of the Arc Insider from Tara O'Connor and me, Karen Allen. If you're interested, Tara's team at Arc produces monthly country reports on 22 African markets. You can subscribe to these at info at africariskconsulting.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. Bye for now.